0: There's a theme that runs through the chapters of Matthew that we are looking at today, chapters 10 through 12, that is one of the more confusing, uncomfortable-making themes that we come across in the New Testament, one that's left lots of people, including some of the characters in these chapters, scratching their heads, a little perplexed, and even dismayed at what Jesus has said. In Matthew 10, Jesus sends his disciples out on the road to announce the coming of the kingdom of God and to engage themselves in the same sort of ministry work that Jesus has been doing up until now. He has instructions for them about how to go about this work and then a warning that persecution will be coming their way. This is in Matthew 10 verses 21 and 22. Brother will betray brother to death and a father his child, and the children will rise up against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all because of my name, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Words of inspiration right there for rookie apostles, huh? And Jesus doubles down a couple paragraphs later on the same idea, starting in verse 34. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and one's foes will be members of one's own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Those who find their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will find it. Here Jesus is quoting the prophet Micah to bring this theme of inter-family strife into focus. And Jesus isn't done. In chapter 12, he is teaching. And then in verse 46, we read this story that might be familiar to some of you. While he was still speaking to the crowds, his mother and his brothers were standing outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, look, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. But to the one who had told him this, Jesus replied, who is my mother? And who are my brothers? And pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So we see here a little more clearly what Jesus is getting at. It's a concept that theologians sometimes use fancy words to describe like fictive kinship. In normal words, this is a redefining of the boundaries of family. To include now those who are a part of the community that's following Jesus, rather than those you are related to by blood. What are we to make of this theme? It's not a small one in the New Testament, actually. Paul in his letters puts this idea at the heart of his understanding of the church. You all are family now. In Galatians, there's no more division along social, ethnic, gender lines, but all are one in Christ Jesus. Paul takes the Corinthian church to task because the rich are leaving the poor out of their meals together as a part of the celebration of the Lord's Supper, something that would have seemed completely unremarkable within the social relationships of that culture. And his reasoning for taking them to task basically boils down to the same idea. That's not how families treat each other. Paul writes to Philemon in that short little book with an implicit critique of Philemon's holding a fellow Jesus follower as a slave, writing, in effect, I don't think People usually hold their brothers as slaves, do they? My point is, if we are to understand what it means to be the church, then this uncomfortable theme that we come across in these chapters of Matthew is central to that understanding. And this whole theme of redefining family relationships, I have a feeling it might sound a little better to some of our ears than to others. My bet is that some of you are a little resistant to the idea that Jesus is telling us to abandon our responsibilities to our birth families. And at the same time, I would bet that there's others of you who might welcome the chance to be a part of a different family than the one you were born into. But however we might feel about what's here, on the surface at least, the first thing we need to know about this theme in order to understand it is that it would have sounded far, far, far more radical in Jesus' day than our own. We live in the era of friendsgiving and framily, after all. But in Jesus' day, and this is the case in many other cultures today as well, your family was not just the nuclear one. And it wasn't just a group of people whom you had some vague sense of obligation to. In Jesus's culture, your family defined who you were. It was the most important thing in telling you who you were and where you belonged in the world. It defined you as simple as that. It defined your relational world. It defined your economic world. It defined your everything. Our new senator here in California, Alex Padilla, grew up in Pacoima as the son of a cook, a housekeeper. Now he's a senator. That wasn't a thing in Jesus's day. And so the first thing for us to understand about this theme is that Jesus's words are far more radical than the same ideas are or would be today. They are in effect saying that thing that defines you, that tells you who you are and what matters in life, who you should be, what responsibilities you have, that core of your being, it's thrown out the window. That isn't who you are anymore. That isn't what defines you anymore. Now you're a part of this new family. So if these words already make us uncomfortable and they would have been even more radical, then what are we to make of that? Well, for one, it reminds us that it really isn't surprising that Jesus and Paul, for that matter, ended up being killed by those who wanted to preserve the status quo. These are dangerous words. For those who want things to stay the way they are and i think for us today to see that a bit more clearly it might be most helpful to broaden out these words beyond just the family because while some of us might still identify our family as the thing that defines us i think many of us might actually point to something else our jobs or our education or something else entirely actually as a brief tangent I think one of the downsides of our culture moving away from family and family obligations being the things that define us and make sense of who we are and where we are in the world, one of the downsides is that many people never really find a good replacement answer to what defines them. If not family, then what? And they're left a little adrift, not really sure who they are or why they are. But in any event, Wherever we might come down on this question of what is the thing that defines you, Jesus' words would say, all of that goes out the window. Not that you leave that family or quit that job or whatever, but its importance gets radically recalibrated so that the thing that defines you is instead allegiance to and belonging to the family of God. And if we really wrestle with that idea, if we really take it seriously, it's going to sound as radical to us as it did to people in Jesus's day. Whoever loves their children more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves their career more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves their education more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves their personal brand more than me is not worthy of me. And then there is a second crucial piece to our understanding of this theme. We live in a day and age when Christianity is culturally dominant, or at least is still one of the major players in the culture. In many, if not most, spaces today, identifying as a Christian is not strange. There may or may not be lots of others who also identify as such, but you usually aren't going to be ostracized for it. When the transgender atheist college professor parent of one of Riley's friends that he had met at school this past year found out we had moved back to California to start a church, their response was basically, oh, okay. And they have proceeded to let their son play and then Zoom with Riley practically every day of the past year and a half. Now, I know there are some exceptions to this, of course. I don't want to minimize that. But by and large, Christianity is a fairly normal-seeming thing in our culture still, And in this sort of cultural setting, Jesus's words sound 100% negative. You know that family you love? You should hate them instead. You know those people who are supportive and loving Do you? Abandon them. Those parents who you might have slight theological disagreements with, but whom you basically are on the same page. You are not worthy of me. Here's the thing, though. It cannot be stressed enough how different things were for the people Matthew is writing this gospel to. Most scholars agree that the evidence points to this gospel being written in the last half of the first century to a largely Jewish group of Christians in one of the cities in what would now be Northern Israel or Syria or maybe Eastern Turkey. Christianity was not normal then in any sense. Romans saw them as a weird Jewish sect and Jews saw them as apostates, heretics who denied the central tenet of Judaism one God, one God, by saying that Jesus was God too. In many places, Jewish Christians had been cast out of the synagogues and their families. Their actions and decisions to align themselves with Jesus was shameful, and they had therefore been disowned, socially ostracized, cast out. In other words, exactly what Jesus had said in these passages had come to pass. Not Because the Christians had abandoned their families, but because their families had abandoned them. Matthew tells us these words of Jesus not as a negative message to people who have good, loving families. You should hate your families and abandon them for the sake of Jesus. Matthew tells us these words of Jesus as a positive message to people who have already been abandoned by their families for the sake of Jesus. It's okay. You belong here in the family of God now. Whatever you've lost, take heart. It's worth it. Wherever you've been, it's okay. You belong here. Don't waver now that things are hard and you wonder what you're supposed to do now that the thing that has defined you up until now has been lost. Be defined instead by your membership here. In this community of people who are following Jesus. And don't be surprised that this thing has happened because the same thing happened to Jesus, and to the apostles before you. That's the message Matthew is getting at. And so, what's that message to us today? Well, most of us haven't been ostracized by our friends and family for following Jesus. Most of us haven't been cast out for aligning ourselves with a new set of values. But some of us have experienced some of that. For those who know what Matthew's people knew, That following Jesus can sometimes lead to rejection. You belong here. This family of God can be your family too. For those of you who aren't really sure what defines you, what that core of your being is that makes sense of it all, maybe you could try out Jesus as that center of who you are. And for those of you who don't really fit in either of those categories... You don't have to abandon your family, hate your friends. That's not what Jesus is calling you to. Count yourself lucky that the cost of following Jesus hasn't reached those carry your cross and lose your life level proportions quite yet. But I think the call to those of us in that third category is different, but closely related. Let's be that sort of church together. Let's be a church where we do our best to make following Jesus our top priority. Let's be a church where people who want to follow Jesus, but have been cast out of where they used to call home for whatever reason, where those people are treated like family. Let's be a church where people belong because Jesus is at the center and that's what matters most.